Well, someone left a very smart, new, amplified small print Bible on the front desk out there. I found it during the week. Ah, there you go. I was about to auction it, Chris. <laughs> okay. Okay, my, I, I don't know, I've already messed up. We should have shown a video earlier, which is Carol, why Carol was looking at, with, with shock as to what, what, what are we doing? What are we, what are we doing? Because it's supposed to be a video before she did that. That's my fault. Um, so let's pray that I get my head together for. <sighs> let's take a few moments. Lord Jesus, we, we just still our hearts before you. We live extraordinarily busy lives. And I, I'm, I feel far more than those who passed us in previous generations. And we are, can be so busy, our minds, our time can be so filled, we pack it in with all sorts of extra stuff like TV and social media, that we don't know how to stop. So we take a moment now and still our hearts before you, so that we might hear you and receive your word today. And Holy Spirit, you are our teacher appointed by the Lord Jesus to continue to teach us and lead us into all the truth. Come and help us and teach us today, we pray, that Jesus may be honoured. Amen. Amen. Okay, I, I forgot my iPad, so I've got these. Old style. <laughs> old style, old school. <laughs> Ephesians 3, and we're only doing one verse today. Because I wrote the sermon that got to eight pages long, and I thought, that's too long, and so the Lord said, we'll cut it in half today, so that's what we do. <laughs> um, in Ephesians chapter 1 and into chapter 2, Paul talks about the mystery of redemption, that God has chosen a people before time in whom he would demonstrate his grace, resulting in the praise of his glory. Three times in chapter 1, Paul uses that phrase, or a similar one, to the praise of the glory of his grace, or to the praise of his glory. And in chapter 2, and into chapter 3, Paul then talks about the mystery of Messiah and his people. This church, this one new man, which has no division between Jew and Gentile, this new house, this new temple, which is which more than fulfills what the tabernacle and the temple were only pointers towards. This new phase of the Israel of God, through which all the families of the earth are to be blessed with the good news of the incalculable, I have to speak that, say that word very carefully, riches of Jesus Messiah. This, is, this mystery which has been fulfilled is the fulfillment of all of God's promises and purposes. There isn't like this is planned for now and then there's another one. No, this is it. This is the final stage of human history. We are living now, since the resurrection of Jesus, in the last days, before the end comes. The gospel is going to go to all the nations and win those that the Father has given to Jesus Messiah into his kingdom, the kingdom of Messiah, of Christ. Paul then prays that great prayer that we looked at. I kind of wish I'd done that prayer as a chunk on its own too, verse 14 to verse 19. That great prayer, praying that Christ might dwell in your heart through faith, that you might know the love of Christ, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Those are three ways of saying similar things about Jesus and who he is to us. Great prayer, isn't it? Yes. You don't remember, it was last week. 
But then in typical Hebrew fashion, and he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, he has these very Hebrew instincts, he then utters a blessing, a doxology, a blessing to God. And it's here in these verses. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church, and in Messiah Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now I'm only preaching verse 20 today. I'm going to start with the end of that phrase, which is, all that we ask or think. All that we ask. Paul's prayed a great prayer, but God can do far more, he says, than all that he's asked. I mean, he's asked some extraordinarily big things there that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may be, be rooted and grounded in love, that you may know the love of Jesus, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. That's big praying, isn't it? Yes. You know? If you heard a pastor praying like that for his people, you think, my word, he prays for his people. Paul then says, he is able to do far above all that we ask or think. We may ask some big things from God. We may imagine bigger things. But he's able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think. But we do need to ask. There's a false teaching, a wrong teaching about faith that says you need to imagine it, visualize it. You make it happen. The roots of that way of thinking go back into the ancient and wicked realm of magic. And then to the early 20th century with new thought teaching. And then New Age teaching from the 1970s onwards, which is nowadays people stick a post-it note to their bed, you know, I ask the universe for so-and-so and the universe is supposed to deliver it. Have you heard that one? It's part of the same magic kind of thinking. Faith movement and word of faith teaching builds on those foundations and is false teaching. This is what the Lord Jesus says. Keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be opened to you. Ask and keep asking. That's the literal version of the, 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 the text there. Ask and keep asking. Search and keep searching. Knock and keep knocking. Keep on going in this. Don't give up in this. To pray is to ask of the Lord. It is Godward. It's not me simply to have, having a little rambling conversation with myself. You know, it's to ask of him something. God doesn't need our information or advice. He is the Almighty, the Eternal, the All-Knowing. Right? He doesn't need, I'm not a spy for God. He doesn't need me to find things out for him. He already knows our needs, our thoughts and our feelings. But it is good to pour out our hearts before him, to ask him to cleanse and heal our soul, our inner being. And there are Psalms that show us how to do that. But the very core of prayer is to request his help. His supply, His favour, His wisdom, His power, His love, to be asking something from Him. We don't pray merely to complain. I've heard some people do that. It's not edifying. It doesn't build you up, does it? It's to ask something for him, from Him. If we honestly open up our hearts before Him because we're feeling bad, and the Psalms that do that too, you know. What are we looking for? We're looking for Him to come and heal our hearts. And renew our spirit, to, 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 to reform and renew our inner man. Prayer is God-centered, it's not need-centered, though needs drive us to prayer. 
Prayer in the end is about God. We look to him and ask of him and keep looking to receive from him. And then I came up with this the other day. I'm thankful to God for this phrase. Prayer should be instant, constant, and persistent. Amen. Pray all the time about everything that's happening. You pray like, like Nehemiah did. You're asked a question by the king, and you, you pray just inwardly in a moment, and then you give your answer. Right? Pray constantly. Pray instantly, briefly, about everything. You don't need to go in a corner and pray for 15 minutes. You just need to risk your heart to the Lord. Consistently, constantly, and persistently means you don't give up praying. You keep on praying over the longer term for some things again and again and again until you find, until the door is opened. That's the teaching of Jesus. So in John's Gospel, Jesus invites us to share in his joy. Look at these three verses with me. Just three verses, John 15, 16 and 17. I've spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Until now, you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you'll receive so that your joy may be complete. How many of you know it's fun when you get your prayers answered? Yes. I'm, I'm, I know I'm being silly. It's joy. Yes. There's joy in knowing your prayer has been heard. And then he prays to the Father. Now I'm coming to you, Father, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed, made mature in them. Jesus is concerned for our joy. And it was his joy. He experienced it himself to ask of the Father and to see the Father answer, to receive the thing that he'd asked for. And he wants us to know the same joy. Exactly the same joy. So my joy may be in you and your joy may be made complete. So if we don't pray, on joy. And false teachers tell you not to ask. Don't ask, just say it, just claim it, just confess it. But Jesus says, ask and keep asking. Yes. Who am I going to believe, them or him? Some people want to rob you of your promised joy. I'm not sure they even think like that, but that's what happens. Going into a world of magic instead of a world of prayer. I'm going quickly because we're short on time today. But you get the point. Yes. Beyond what you can pray or, pray or think, but do pray. Do ask it. Think your biggest prayer and pray it and see if what God will do. Get ahead of myself. Prayer is to bring us into the joy of Jesus. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Let's think about the think for a minute. Or imagine some versions say. We're talking here about our plans. I've already said that that positive thinking visualization, visualization technique is false teaching. But let me now focus on just kind of a habit. It's grown up over the years. It comes with some false teaching behind it or wrong teaching behind it as well. That we, we tell the Lord what he should do, how he should do it, and when he should do it. Yeah? We've got our agenda. We've got our plan. This is the plan, Lord. We've got to do this. Yeah? What, how, and when. We seem to imagine God needs our plans. Hmm. Unless we come up with the agenda, the timetable, the logistics, heaven just can't deliver. You know, it's like, you haven't told us, you haven't told me what to do. 
It's hard for us to stop that foolishness. It's even said by some that unless you can be that specific in your praying, God's hands are tied. I'm going to have one word answer for that. It's a polite word. Ridiculous. God's hands are tied because you didn't know quite what to say in prayer. Foolishness. This verse blows that false idea out of the water. He is able to do far and above all that we ask or think. Of course he's going to do better than we know how to pray. He always has a better, greater, wiser outcome than the one we're thinking of. It's called wisdom, my friends, and he's infinitely full of it. Wisdom. We don't understand wisdom much because we're only, we, only, we, we think we're wise when we're only clever. He is wise. He knows how to do everything well to the best end, you know, for the best result. He's infinitely full of wisdom. Let's go to some very famous scriptures today. I didn't even have to look these up. I just knew they were there. Isaiah 55. My thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your thought, my your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Is does the universe go a long way up and out and down and all around? His ways are, his thoughts are, they're also better. His plans are better than ours. There are a number of verses like this in, in, in this proverb. I'm enjoying reading Proverbs in the new reading, but I'm going to give you a verse or two a day. Proverbs 19:21. Many plans are in a man's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. You might have your plans... And, and Proverbs 21, 30, no wisdom, no understanding, no counsel will prevail against the Lord. James writes in his letter, go on now, you people who say, this week we're going to go to this town and we're going to trade and we're going to do this and that. Whereas you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll do it. Your plans may not stand. Because you don't know enough to predict the future. Many of us know this verse very well. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your welfare, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And I hear a lot of people quote that verse, but they're still very busy getting God to accept and bless their plans. They still think that they've got the answer. If only they could convince him of it. That he would do exactly what they knew. What the, what, you know, if, he, if, they only could, if he only could get their plan... The Lord's plans are above and beyond us. They go above, higher. They go beyond, further. They exceed us. They are wiser. They're better. And now let me tell you this. I almost said it earlier. By his wisdom and power, he may well exceed our expectation, but it also ignore our timetable. And just when you think it's too late, God says, time. Again and again. God does not need our plans, but he wants our prayers because he chooses to partner with us in his purposes. He wants us to pray. It's through our praying and listening that he will direct us and supply us and empower us. In fact, I came up with three S's on that one. When we're listening to him, and prayer is a dialogue, it's two-way, we need to be listening to him, he can speak to us. When we're looking to him, he can steer us. 
direct us. And when we're ready to receive from his hand, then he can supply us. Because you've got to stand still to receive something. If you're, it's very hard to catch something if you're running. Thank you. <laughs> but when we're still, when we've prayed, when we're waiting, looking to him, he can speak to us, he can steer us, and he can supply us. Let me go to another well-known portion of Scripture from Proverbs 3. I just felt to read this whole passage to you today. How many of you know verse 5 there? It's one of those famous Scriptures. Let's look at it in context going through. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not rely on your own understanding, your own cleverness. Think about Him in all your ways, and He will guide you on the right path. Do not consider yourself to be wise. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will be healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. That's, a, that's an Old Testament equivalent of tithing. With the first fruits of your income, with the first fruits of your, what God has blessed you. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. Do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son, and do not loathe his discipline, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as the Father, the Son, he delights in. There is a whole heap of practical wisdom just in those first few verses, isn't there? But if we know it, let's do it. The Lord does not need your agreement with his word, he wants your obedience to his word. You see, this comes back to faith. Not as some preach it, listen to me. In the Garden of Eden, man, Adam and Eve, rejected God's wisdom and power and love and chose to be unbelieving and disobedient. And that set the course of human nature and human history. We were born into that sin. But Jesus came. Paul calls him second man, last Adam in 1 Corinthians 15. And he reversed what Adam had done because Jesus honored the Father, trusted and obeyed him even to death, to the cross. And in Jesus, we're called to the same faith, the same trust and obedience, but we don't obey and we don't believe out of our own human nature and resources, which is fallen, but by the supply of his grace. So that's where the next bit of the verse comes in. God's power, according to his power that is at work in us. Three, three things to say here. God's power, God's power at work, and God's power at work in us. One of the great hindrances to us as Christians is of our own making, that we make God too small. I get in debates sometimes with my fellow Christians and fellow Christian leaders, and every now and again there are two issues that come up and I think that's it, that's where the discussion ends because either they don't really value scripture, the authority of scripture, or their idea about God is just too small. I think, I said, I, said, I can't go there. I can't, if, I, if I thought about God the way you think about God, I would give up. I would not serve him, I would not worship him. So if you can serve a God that small, bully for you. I'm not usually that hard. I say something like that. One of the ways that you can spot false teaching is that it makes God small. It diminishes him. It brings him down to our level. God became man. Man doesn't become God. 
The outcome is this, that we live small lives because we're thinking of our God in too small a way. We live narrow lives because we're narrow-minded about him. But if he is great, we can live a large life. The Psalms and the prophets extol the greatness of God. Here's one for you, just one, lots of them. 147 verse 5. Our Lord is great, vast in power. His understanding is infinite. You know, they used to say about Mr. Kipling that he made exceedingly good cakes. Well, our God is exceedingly great. He's exceedingly great in power, in wisdom, and in love. However big you can imagine him, he's bigger. However good you can imagine him, he's better. However powerful you can imagine him, he's more powerful. And no matter how wise you can imagine him, he's wiser. His power is simply his command. How did God make the world and everything in it? Simply by instructing it to be so, commanding it by the word of his authority, his power. Power in this kind of language is not energy, it's not muscles, you know, like, the, like I used to have. <laughs> it's authority. The kind of authority that, you know, someone can sit and issue an order and it, it happens. Centurion came to Jesus wanting his servant healed and he understood authority. Because he said, you don't need to come to my home, just command it, command it to happen. Wow, said Jesus, I haven't found faith like this in Israel. The man understood authority. Jesus said in a number of ways in a number of scriptures, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. Therefore, we should pray to an all things God about all things, shouldn't we? All things. So Philippians says, don't be anxious about anything, but bring everything to God in prayer. And the peace of God will keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Because he's the God of all things. There's no bit of your life which is not open to God, I hope, hope, because God wants to do something in all of your life. Every area, every part, every department. Our problem is nowadays we've got a secular spiritual divide. We say, this is my spiritual bit, this is my religious bit, and over here is the rest of me and the rest of my week. God wants to invade your week with his kingdom. Every bit of it. With his wisdom and love and power and kingdom. I'm getting off the subject. We can pray big prayers because Yahweh is great and greatly to be praised. Now, many of us know John Newton's hymn, Amazing Grace, but here are the first two verses from one of his other hymns. Okay, King James Version, English, of course. Come, my soul, thy suit prepare. That, that's case, all right? Presentation. Jesus loves to answer prayer. He himself has bid thee pray, therefore will not say thee nay. Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, no one can ever ask too much. God's power is great, isn't it? God's power is at work. God is not passive. Some people have this impression of God. He's the, clock make, he's, the, he's the clock maker. He wound up the clock called creation and redemption and all those things. So suddenly working. And now he says, I'll see how that works out. Let's see what happens with that one. That's not true. 
God is at work in all things and working all things according to his eternal wisdom and purpose. God is always at work. Let's go to Romans 8, 28. We all know this one. We know, I've used the numeric of this one because it, it, it puts it the right way around. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. God caused, they don't just work themselves. That's a strange kind of fatalism. Oh, it'll all work out right in the end, I think. God causes it to work out to good. He's involved in the working out of all things according to his purpose. And if you're a child of God called according to his purpose, God is working all things for your good. It's not blind fate. It's not case sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. God is working all things for your good. Back in Ephesians 1, we read this, we have an inheritance in him, predestined according to the purpose of the one, listen to this, who works out everything in agreement with the decision of his will. How much does he work out in accordance with his will? Everything. everything. So you, the wisest place to be on planet Earth is to be living in the will of God because then everything gets done according to plan. Let me say again, we do not live by fate, we, we live by faith in God. If I was Irish, that wouldn't work. But we do not live by fate, we live by faith in God. We don't just accept things that happen in life, we call on the Lord to help us. Yes. Amen. Help us to deal with it, or help us so it changes. We're people of faith, we call out to him in life. What the... What David called the land of the living. We, we live to see, hope to see the glory of God in the land of the living. That's now. I, I don't need God's help much when I'm dead. I'll be with him. But I need it a lot now. And God's work is a power, is a, God's power is at work. God's power is at work in us. I want you to get this. According to the power that is at work in us. Some versions even say within us. God's work is, God's power is at work in you today, now. He's not just, oh, he's doing that out there. He's, he's over there doing that and here's me just, his work, his power is at work in us. He's the measurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his vast strength. His immeasurably great power, his authority flows from heaven towards us who believe. His vast strength is at work for us and then in us. He answers our requests of him according to the power that works in us. Now stop here for a moment because, you know, when I'm writing these things, I feel the Holy Spirit gives me some word along the way. Here's one of them. I think some of us are very ready to have God do things for us but we're not so willing to have him do things in us. Let me give you an illustration of that. I'm sorry if this treads on anybody's toes. What I mean is this. We may ask, God, please heal me, bless me, or bless so-and-so, get my child into that school, give me promotion in my work. But we're not often found asking, God, please help me. Save me from my behavior that doesn't honor you. Change me and strengthen me to keep your commandments and to love and serve you with all my heart. 
We want his power at work for us, but we're less ready to have him work powerfully in us. Think of this for a moment. Much of what God does for us, day by day, in the circumstance of life, even the healing of our own bodies, is only temporary and will pass away. We've fixed our attention on things that are really very temporary. The house, the possessions, and whatever. But what he does in us, the character and godliness that is produced in us, is of eternal value and reward and consequence. Those things are eternal. But the, the stuff of life that we are so busy with is actually temporary and has no lasting value. So which of those two should we be the more eager for? That's my question. Stuff that lasts or stuff that won't? <coughs> things that are eternal or things, to, Paul writes to Corinthians, that are temporal, they're only for a time. God is at work in us. Read it in Philippians 2. So then, my dear friends, just as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but even now more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Some people with their theology stop there, but the next verse gives us the answer. For it is God who is working in you. God is working in you. Listen to this, my friends. Enabling you to desire and to work out his good purpose. If you want to do God's will, that itself is his work in you. That itself is God working in you. That you want to please him. You want to keep his commandment. You would not as a mere human being. But the work of God is to produce the, the desire, the will, the motivation, and then the energy and the equipment and the supply to do it. That's God's work in us. That's God's work in us. So don't despise yourself when I, well, I really want to. Well, ask him for the grace to do then. Because grace has made you want something. Want to change, want to get straight, want to get right. Ask him for the grace now to put that into action. Hebrews 13. It's another doxology, blessing. Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, with the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with all that is good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight. God works in us, so we work it out. Through Jesus Christ, glory belongs to him forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This is the message of grace. Grace is more than forgiveness of sins. Oh, you did it again. Let's clean you up. Grace is at work in us to change us, to develop God's image in us. We only work out in life, in practice, and obedience what he has first worked in us. He's changed our will. He's changed our motivation. He's given us strength. He's given us equipping and supply. God is at work in us. And there are many prayers in the Old Testament, again the Psalms are full of them, where you find godly people praying that God would work in them. And not just when they've got something terribly wrong either. It's just a pattern of life to keep asking the Lord to keep working in me. We sang it last week, remember? Lord, reign in me. Reign in your power. Even then I was thinking next week, according to his power that is at work in us, according to his vast strength which is at work in us, that's a good prayer, reign in your power. Because he wants to operate his will in us. He wants to bring us 
to conformity to his image by the working of his power. It is not about us doing it in our own strength. Because you can't. If I wanted to be silly, I would stand here now and try to pick myself up by, shoe, by my shoelaces. You know which bit of me would hit the ground, don't you? But Christians think, you've got to do it. You've got to get it done. And, and, and I've got to work out how to do it. And, and, and I've got to find the strength to do it. You need to know God is with you. And at work in you. And even the willing to do is born of him. So God is at work in us, which is a heart issue thing. A change from the inside out. Jesus said you've got to change the root of something. Don't just go and cut off the bad fruit. The root's got to change. So God needs to work from my heart to, heart to the outside, yes? yes? Yes. And then God is at work through us. He does great and mighty things. Now, we imagine sometimes... We pray like this, Lord, would you go and do such and such, and would you go and do such and such? And we, got, we kind of want to make him very busy, going over there and going over there and doing this and doing this and doing this and doing this. Let me ask you a question for a moment. How do you imagine God actually answers prayer a lot of the time? Through people. Through people. How would God really like to heal that person that you're praying for? <coughs> By sending somebody with a deposit of faith in their heart to go and pray for them and lay hands on them and yeah. see them healed. Yeah. Isn't that so? Yeah. Yes. Isn't that kind of God's normal way of doing things? Yeah? yeah? Yes. But we've, we've, we've hooked into a thinking, you know, we don't need to do anything. We're going to ask God to, to send an angel. That's another one, isn't it? Lord, send thy angels. Because we are not going to do it. So you've got to send somebody. Here I am. Send him. True. Let me give you some examples from Scripture. The Red Sea was divided by the power of God as Moses obeyed God and raised his stick in his hands. All right? Another time God said to Moses, why are you crying to me? Go and do so-and-so. <laughs> he told him what to go and do. Elisha was praying besides a dead child. Then he stretched himself on the child. Then he stood up and prayed again and, and the child came to life. Why did he do that? Well, I think the Lord told him to. The child came back to life because Elisha prayed and did what God, whatever God showed him to do that moment. Well, it seems strange. It seems strange to me even now. But he did it. And God's power was at work. Listen to me. In Elisha and through Elisha. And that's Old Testament even. Peter and John were going up to the temple to pray. And they saw a lame man at the entrance of the temple. And Peter looked at him and said, I, I don't have silver and gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then we, we miss this next bit. Peter took him by the right hand and raised him up. And at once, the man's feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped and leapt and started to walk and praise God. God does not send us, God does not send us just as messengers with words from him. He sends us as representatives to also act in his name. 
You could say on his behalf, but we're not doing it without him. We're doing it with him, for him, as he directs us. That's how the Lord Jesus sent out the 72 disciples. That's how he has commissioned us. Go and I am with you. And you will do these things. You will lay hands on the sick and so on. We might pray for someone to be healed, but what about going to them and praying and laying hands on them? We miss this connection. God works in and through us for his namesake, for the honour of Jesus. There are still nations and families on the earth that need to hear the gospel. And if, they're gonna, if that's going to happen, and it must happen before Jesus returns, you do know that, don't you? then many of us must pray for it, but some must go and do it. Jesus said to the disciples, lift up your eyes, look to the harvest. The fields are white under harvest. He says the, labor, the fields are white, but the laborers are few. He's talking about people, people who need to know him, not Jesus. And he says, pray the Lord of harvest to send out laborers. And that was his instruction. But the very next verse in the gospel, you find Jesus, and he selected 72 and he sent them. See, the, the answer to the prayer was right there. And the praying, maybe those 72 were the people who prayed, I don't know, but there's a connection between He told them to pray, and then the next thing, he's commissioning some. Because the prayer must be answered. You're not just chucking something into the air and see where it falls. We need to be ready to be God's answer to some of our prayers. Think about it. God answers many of our prayers through his people. For instance, I have to tell you this morning that money doesn't grow on trees or fall from the sky. We invented money and we handle and use it and we give money. So when I'm praying for the Lord to help us with lighthouse cash flow, I'm not looking for some money to land suddenly through the wherever, I don't know, suddenly arrive in the bank account. You know, money that arrives in your bank account can go back out of your bank account because it wasn't yours in the first place. The fraud office will say, where have you got that money? Where did that come from? When I'm asking the Lord to help us, I am specifically asking that he will open the hearts and hands of his people to give faithfully to him. Because that is the biblical pattern. I'm not imagining some other way. That's the biblical pattern. When we pray, God acts in power in and through people, including us, including, dare I say, you. There's more to say on that next time around in verse 21, how God has chosen to use us for his glory. So, pray and watch and be ready for God to speak and to steer and to supply. Be ready every day of your life as God directs you and as God shows you, as you hear the Father, see what he wants to do. To be ready and to speak on what he shows you. You see, God has great plans. And they're not just about your, your, your household the life you live indoors. God has great plans to put you out there in the world and cause a big change in the world. He has great power. It's not you doing it. It's not your strength. It's his. It's not your cleverness. It's his wisdom. It's not what you can achieve. It's what he can work in you. His purpose is being worked out in and through us because his power is at work in and through us. We are a people under authority. When he says, we do. And when that happens, he is glorified. It's all for the honour of Jesus.
all for the honor of Jesus. Do you want to go and pray some big prayers? Anybody feel like praying some big prayers? Because God is great. He's great. Some of us need to pick up again some prayers we've, we've kind of left off. Sort of left, let it go. Let it, oh, it's not happened yet. We'll let it go. No. Keep on praying. That's the teaching of Jesus. I don't care who says anything else. That's the teaching of Jesus. Pray and keep on praying. When the Son of Man comes, will he find that kind of faith on the earth, he said, that prays and keeps on praying? Instant, constant, persistent. But even then, it is not our prayers that make things happen. It is God who answers our prayers and he makes things happen. God must be great in all our thinking. And then he just might get all the glory. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. As we pray, it may just be that there's someone here, maybe one or two people here today. And you need to make a beginning of opening your heart and surrendering yourself to the Lord Jesus. In other words, you haven't really begun this walk of faith in Christ yet. You've been hearing about him. Maybe you've been enjoying hearing about him. But this has not started to get to work in your life yet. It's somebody else's Christianity. It's somebody else's faith. Well, why, why isn't it yours? Why don't you ask him today to come and invade your life with his presence? with his wisdom and power and love. Ask God that he might make his son Jesus very real and very dear to you. That he becomes your master. I, I like the word master better than king sometimes. It's very practical. But before very long you may be with other people saying, in prayer and in thanksgiving and in songs, Lord Jesus, you are my master. You are my king. Ask him right now that that should begin to be true in you. Pray, Holy Spirit, you will hear the prayers of our hearts now. Some perhaps having their hearts to Jesus for the first time. Others of us thinking, pondering, wanting to get hold of this truth that the, the God of all things, the God of all power, all wisdom, all love, actually wants us to ask big things of him so that he is glorified and that we may have great joy. You are able, Lord. You are able. Far above and beyond, you are able. Jesus, you're exalted far above and beyond. You're able. Your kingdom is great. We pray that your kingdom may extend through us this week. Through us, some impact of your presence and your goodness and your power and your wisdom may spill over to other people around us. Give us those moments when we dare to do what we believe you showed us to do. 
and see your kingdom invade into ordinary everyday life. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. We're going to break bread together. Rattled, I know I rattled through because we need to break bread and then the children are coming at court. Um, some ladies, some mums are going to come up and serve us. Sorry? Men as well. Okay, sorry. Okay. So Carol asked some people to come and help us with breaking bread. If you come and do that, please. <coughs> and uh, while we do.